This is Mary Celeste Bell. Welcome to the Blackberry Podcast, where we'll dive into stories and knowledge of the incredible people that are part of the Blackberry story. You'll hear from longtime friends, amazing visiting personalities, and our own inspired team members. For our third installment of our Kitchen Conversations, Andy Chabot chats with Executive Chef of the Main House at Blackberry Farm, Josh Feathers. Having worked at Blackberry since 2000, Josh has witnessed and been part of an incredible evolution and growth of the culinary program over the last two decades. Hello, I'm Andy Chabot, and today on the Blackberry Podcast, I'm continuing our chef interview series with Executive Chef of the Main House at Blackberry Farm, Josh Feathers. Hi, Josh. Hey, how's it going, Andy? Great. Thanks for taking the time today. Great. In between breakfast and lunch service. Yeah, a few, a few, <laughs> a few things happening. Yeah, I believe it. Well, we'll, we'll get into that uh, you know, a little bit. I know you have a busy schedule, but I wanted to first really just dive into your backstory a little bit. Sure. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I've known you now for over 18 years. We've worked together. Um, but where, where did you grow up? Yeah. It's been it's certainly been a minute here at the farm. Yes, has. Um, so yeah, but uh, I grew up just north of Black Ray Farm uh, in the from the Knoxville Maryville community, north uh, in the Tri Cities area, so Bristol, Tennessee, um, and you know that was where basically I saw the light of day. Um, <laughs> stayed there until I was uh, uh, eighteen and joined the Navy at that time, um, and was meant to be a search and rescue swimmer in the navy um were you were you a swimmer i was not a swimmer but um you know that was kind of the first thing i had had this ultimate plan in my mind to uh, go to buds and be a seal is that why is that why you went into the navy yeah that's why i wanted to go in um you know i watched a lot of john wayne movies growing up so i hear you (laughs) hero stuff that's what we were bound for Mm -hmm. um and uh didn't quite work out that way um, ended up becoming, uh, in, through my Navy, my Navy career, and um, almost right off the bat, it, uh, getting involved in cooking and yeah. you know, the, the road to being a chef was just right off the bat. You really? know? So I became anemic in basic training, which disqualified me from uh, search and rescue swimmer school um, and the things that I wanted to do there. And at that point, you're kind of at the needs of the Navy. You know, you have a guarantee of what, what we call an A school or a training school. Um, and once you're kind of disqualified from your first one, the kind of the process, at, at least in that day, um, seems weird to say in that day, it's been <laughs> 20 plus years ago now, um, was that you go through the different ratings that the Navy needs to have filled. So whether it was uh, cooking, yeoman, whole tech, you know, fire control, whatever it was. And you'd basically make your top list of eight. And uh, the detailer would take the list and go back and see really where they wanted to put you. Um, And I let my detailer talk me into putting cooking down, being a a mess cook on that list. There was was nothing you had ever done before? Um, You know, it's, it's funny. I'd cooked, I could probably cook better than most of my high school friends. Right. Um, It was something that my parents really kind of instilled into me. When you leave the house, you will be able to do your laundry, iron your clothes, make yourself look presentable, and feed yourself type <laughs> situation. Life skills. Yeah. Um, and it also kind of bled into 
our lifestyle, our outdoor lifestyle, being a sportsman and everything else, I mean, we very much, you know, we killed deer, we killed squirrels, rabbits. Growing up. Growing up. You hunted. You know, and um, that was the, a big part of our lifestyle. And so I learned to cook all those things growing up. Hmm. And then so fast forward, it almost seemed like as soon as the detailers saw that I put that on the list, they were back and gave me an answer that welcome to welcome to be a mess cook in the U.S. Navy type situation. <laughs> I mean, it was like almost making a bad car deal, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. The uh, the guys back, so uh, <laughs> we uh, went from there. So my, my original basic training was in Orlando. So I went from traveling locally in the southeast growing up to becoming a man, if you will, and traveling to <laughs> Orlando, Florida for basic training. And then all of a sudden, from there, traveling to San Diego, California, for, which was where the, the A school was for uh, cooks at the time. The A school training was something that was very, came very natural. We go through eight weeks of training, so in civilian, like Culinary Institute of America and mm-hmm. everything else, and all the different things that you learn over an expanded time. In the military in A school, you learn a little bit about a lot of things in a compressed amount of time with a lot of focus on um, critical control points and foodborne illness and all those sure. things. So you don't make people sick right? type situation. Because, you know, once the once the crew of the ship is sick, there's, there's nobody driving the ship, <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> so a lot of food safety. Yeah, a lot of food safety. And then you get into learning the Armed Forces Recipe Service and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of where cooking in the military gets a bad name. You get one recipe, you get this catalog of recipe cards that can be anywhere from eggs benedict to beef stroganoff to anything in between. Um, One card, if you make that recipe on that card, is for 100 portions. Gotcha. (laughs) And there's thousands of recipes in this. So you learn to to use that catalog and, and understand how to do recipe conversions if you're scaling it up to, you know, an aircraft carrier that has four or five thousand people on it or even bringing it down to something that's in a, a smaller company size type situation where you're cooking for 30 or 40. Right. Um, hmm. So uh, you kind of learn all of that. It was very easy. I graduated first in my class. Wow. Um, and so when I did that, um, so when a, a class graduates, you then get your permanent duty station orders. And so kind of the same detailing process will happen where there's you know 26 people in this class the detailer will send over 26 sets of orders that they need filled yeah you know all over the world and so um when i and you get to pick those orders in the order that you graduated class so i got first pick nice um and so when i went up again young guy i mean i was i was 18 and a half years old yeah um had a small little master chief and he looked at me and he said i've been waiting for 30 some odd years to see these orders come up and it was for flag mess duty which meant um officer duty um you know or more specifically admiral duty uh, in naples italy oh yeah and uh, he said i've I've been waiting for 30 years (laughs) to see these orders come up and you know, some other expletives thrown out there at me. He said, you're the one that gets to pick these orders first. He said, if, if I were you, I would, n- I would not pass this opportunity up. 
And so I did. Yeah. You know, and the, I won't say disappointment, but almost the shock that I heard in my parents. That you were moving uh, to Italy? That I was going from Bristol, Tennessee, Orlando, Florida, San Diego, California, and now way over to <laughs> Naples, Italy, not to be seen or heard from anytime soon. Um, so... Did that, it, it did that disappoint? I mean, did it, they, it was not a disappointment. I think it was just a shock. shock you know, they yeah. were just like, "Oh, wait a minute, we're not going to see you Italy? for a while." Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was great. I mean, it was, it was an adventure just getting there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so lost on a train in Rome, not knowing where I'm at, not even knowing which direction Naples was. Yeah. And of course, um, it's before you know you can yeah, pull out your the, phone. Yeah. And... This is before. This is pre-internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, you're, you're sitting there trying to speak to Italians in English right? to figure out where you're in. You're, you're pointing at your orders that are in English and they some little English. guy in the train station is like, okay, let's go. You know, and that, that was it. So, um, we bumbled around. There was three of us that were going to that duty station and we bumbled around and found our way on 4th of July weekend, hmm. by the way. Everybody who's non-essential is not working on Fourth of July weekend. Um, to the it was it could have been a TV show. It was so comical. Um, to the train station outside of the base, um, peering over the wall, not knowing how to get across the concrete barrier, across the train tracks, across the next concrete barrier, to the gate of the base where you're supposed to be. Where we're supposed to be. Um, and it was literally a, it was like a two mile trek around. <laughs> <laughs> it's it a whole adventure. Um, and so through all that, we finally got checked in um, on 4th of July weekend um, in Naples. And from there, I spent uh, the next four years in Naples. You know, so I was, yeah. in, the, I was in the Navy for just over seven years. Um, so I spent four years in Naples. And the, the great thing about that duty was it was, not at all what you would expect from cooking in the military. Yeah. Um, it was more restaurant style. You know, I, I, I got to learn restaurant style cooking um, in almost a, a set kind of environment. Um, I was also the uh, admirals. I worked for three different four-star admirals while I was stationed there. Um, the one that I worked for the longest that was there through the most of the four years um, ended up being his enlisted aide, which was almost like a bellman. Um, type situation or a butler type situation huh. where you're you're taking care of food needs you know uniforms you learn that was part of the the job when you get into the flag world of military cooking is you go through um really you know it, it can be taking care of things in their quarters yeah. taking care of things in their office all over the place you know you're, you're taking care of all that so um a lot of the guys that i worked with at the time had a lot of outside of the Navy restaurant, real world kind of experience. So I got to work under these guys. They they took me under their wing and kind of just kind of showed me the ins and outs of what it meant to work in the kitchen, knife skills, you know, all the kind of started to fill in all the gaps of stuff that you didn't learn in a school right. in the Navy. Um, and did you get to start doing different recipes? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, so from that, I mean, it was um, the the uh, AFRS, the Armed Forces Registry, that was out the window. They, that kind of got forgotten. Gotcha. And that's that's why I say we get got to, to cook more restaurant-style food. Um, and also, uh, each of them, 
a couple of them had, had been in country for a while um, and really started teaching me how to um, cook some of the you know the, the basics I would say but yeah the, really immersing me into the culture and the food and hey this is this is what this is this is this is prosciutto this is um, prosciutto and melon oh it's the, right. the greatest thing in the world um, you know all those different things that huh. are almost at that at that point um, I don't think we saw a tremendous amount here in the states or at least not in yeah, the southeast I mean, 20 years ago yeah. 25 years ago I mean right 25 right. years yeah. ago yeah. yep and so you know we're talking 93 94 um, yeah through through that era um, you know we I had never heard of eating ham and melon, ham and, melon and, yeah. and just yeah I mean probably just ham that way, way, you know? yeah. all those things hmm. had never heard of it um, so it was a great experience for me just to be able to see all that stuff and and to get to know it um, and so I was there for four years and through all that um, again the admirals enlisted and so basically wherever he would travel and would be gone for multiple days yeah usually I would have to travel with him I see um, so that's more along the lines of taking care of uniforms making sure the you know in the Navy we have a lot of uniforms I believe it. <laughs> um, you get your working uniforms, your dress uniforms, and so you, know, you go through that process of, you know, checking his daily itinerary. I mean, it's, it's really a, a big responsibility, so that yeah. you know, thinking about and doing the things so that he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to do it. He walks to wherever he's supposed to be, gets to wherever he's supposed to be across town, um, on the other side of wherever, um, and all of his stuff, other than the things that he needs for work, are there. Yeah. If he's got a uniform change for some kind of ceremony, whatever, um, it's there for him and, and waiting on him. Um, and then, uh, so went through all that. Was in in Naples for. Um, see, I think I left Naples in '97. Okay. Something like that, and just through word of mouth, got transferred back to uh, work at the Pentagon for the Secretary of the Navy. Oh wow! Um, and I worked for the Secretary of the Navy for just. Just over three years before I got out and came to BlackBerry. So, and that's you know inside the Pentagon is a is a whole other world. Um, it's almost operates almost kind of like a commissary type kitchen. So sure, our, that restaurant supplied um, the food for let's see the Commandant of the Marine Corps, Chief of Naval Operations, Secretary of the Navy, and then each of those had their undersecretaries and stuff like that. And so we would provide service for for all of them. And so we had, this is where I really kind of got introduced to the first taste of maybe an a la carte style service. Gotcha. So we would have the, the private dining rooms, and then we also had a staff dining room that operated very much just like a restaurant. Had an a la carte menu, mm -hmm. had everything that went into it. Um, and Breakfast, and lunch, and dinner? Breakfast, lunch, and not dinner, um, because no one at the Pentagon is really oh, there. okay. Makes um, sense. Or the majority aren't. Um, but uh, so... You know, breakfast and, and lunch, absolutely, a la carte service. Um, takeout tray service, you know, so we had a, a takeout window in the, in the kitchen. So we had orders coming in from uh, the a la carte dining room, a takeout window, and then you had up to four different private dining rooms that were coming off the same line. So you might have three luncheons happening at the same time you're doing. You know, so it, it, could, have, it could be a lot. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we would also do uh, private dinners on the CNOs, 
uh, or the secretary's um, yacht, if you will. Um, it's the so it's it's kind of hard. It's like the um, the barge. We used to call it the barge. The barge. But really, what it is, it's um, almost boat. like a, a a cabin cruiser type, really ornate. Huh. Like it has its own crew that that staffs it, polishes everything. Everything's brass, teak wood, um, and so it's got a very small galleon, seating space, and everything else. Yeah. And so that would be something for you know, visiting dignitaries and stuff like that. We go out on barge cruises on the Potomac, so you'd work a full shift. You'd come in at four thirty in the morning. Yeah, work a full shift, breakfast, lunch, also prep this dinner for twenty four people. Go to the barge. You know? this dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over yeah. at the navy, so oh, you really go from the you. Pentagon over to the navy yard, load into the for barge. Restaurant life. It yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a good preparation. So, um, did all that uh, for just over three years. Yeah. You know, and then luckily um, we found one night this as the internet had just started to become come into people's homes. Yeah, <laughs> a friend of mine that I worked with up there found a posting for a pastry chef at blackberry farm and your time in the navy was up or yeah it was so it was drawn to a close so we st we you know as you're when you get within a six month window i think most people are starting to look sure you know you know whether you're getting out or staying in and it was you it decided was, you were getting out you yeah decided, i decided that it was the world and yeah it was time to really um i felt like jump into trying to be a chef if i was going to do that yeah um and so that meant getting out. I mean, I, I could have yeah. stayed in. There were at the Pentagon. There were a, a number of different kitchens. You know, the Joint Chiefs sure. uh, have their own style of operation downstairs, and you know, there's, there were other opportunities that could have been there, but it wasn't going to necessarily um, further my career of being a chef, if you will. I mean, yeah. I, I would have been able to advance and um, certainly made a good living. Um, but, uh, but creatively, you wouldn't yeah, yeah, have expanded. Yeah, exactly. And so um, he found this posting on the Internet. I don't know how we started using the Internet back then huh, to, to search it. for jobs, but there was uh, a pastry chef position opening, and he was like, man, you can do this. Huh. You can. I was like, ah, I really don't know. I'm not. Yeah, had you ever so, done pastry? Well, see, it is now, part of your... that's, that's, that's just it. In the military, in the, in the galleys and cooking and everything else, you do it all. Mm -hmm. So there's you, no... you you have to do. I mean, you do the desserts. You do um, the savory. You do the garbage. You do the salad. You do the, yeah. you do the um, washing plates. You do the dish. You do <laughs> yeah. your serving. You you might be serving at breakfast in the dining room and taking orders and everything else, and you might be back on the line at lunch. Oh wow! Okay. You know, there's really situation. no. Yeah, I mean, so you have to be able to do it all, um, and so. I would probably describe myself as having the most well-rounded experience of even any of the guys that I worked with in the yeah. Navy. Um, and so coming here to Blackberry and seeing that uh, posting, um, so it you, wasn't foreign to me. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know that I could do it on the level that needed to be done here, but it wasn't foreign to me. Um, Did you know about Blackberry, or had was never it just heard of it? Closest to home, yep. kind of a thing. And that's that's exactly it. It was uh, something. It was a place that was close to home. You know, all of most of my family still lived up in Bristol. I see. Uh, I think my my father and stepmother had moved to Alabama to take care of my grandfather at the time down there. But um, 
most of them still lived in Bristol. So it was okay. like, you know, you're two hours away and it's, um, something that I had learned, um, in coming through all the, the flag details and everything else, um, was wanting to work, keep that, that high level of work and, you know, not necessarily not wanting to take a step back and work at, I don't know, a, an Applebee's or something right, like that, you right, know, a right. fast casual type place, um, to put the worldly experience that I had gained to use. Um, and so, so once you, I transitioned out of the military, moved back here um, in Knoxville, and it took me about two weeks to finally get an interview, yeah. um, and finally did, and things just worked out at the time where, um, at that point, John Fleer was the executive chef here, and he gave me a shot, hired me. Um, yeah, in fact, I, I remember he always would say there was no way he could not hire you. Um, but the only position that they had available was this pastry chef position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, so we, we started out, I started out as, um, kind of a roundsman for the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And then we quickly realized that because of that military experience and that roundedness, yeah, I don't even know, I'm not sure that's a real word there, <laughs> it's, um, that I had more pastry experience than any of the folks that we had that were coming out of culinary school because that and I think that's really something that differentiated my experience to someone else's because you know in the CIA or Johnson and Wales or wherever I mean pastry and savory are really two separate worlds for yeah. for a different um, or at least at, at some point they become that way you may get um, yeah, limited experience of, in either one you or sort limited. of pick a major at those schools and that's the the bulk of it right you'll you'll take introductory courses in the other right uh, regimen right yeah. exactly so i mean you my experience even even from the the realm of breakfast cookery yeah if you will um was a lot more in depth than anybody else's um and it, surprisingly enough it kind of remains to be that well, you, you, want to, you want to strike fear in somebody's heart and somebody's <laughs> eyes for doing an interview. Ask them to make an omelet. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens. It is. Um, it's amazing. The old technique. Yeah. Now describe yeah. Um, what Blackberry was like when you came and interviewed and, and started. Because it was very different. Yeah, then. it was very different. Um, so we had we had 44 rooms. And, and this was 99, This was two, 2000. Okay. Yeah, April of 2000. We had 44 rooms, um, and you know, we were we served three meals a day. With the middle meal, the lunch was a complete box lunch. So it wasn't a service. It wasn't it wasn't a service, um, and it was meant to, as we said back then, encourage everybody to to get out on property, to be out on property. Um, and so you could guarantee that everybody there's very limited room service. I don't even think we really offered room service at the time. Um, so you knew that everybody was going to show up for breakfast. You knew that you needed to make 90, 80 lunch boxes I guess if all each the room, day. If all the yeah. rooms were full, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the challenge with that then became if there were dietary restrictions, you know, then every component of that lunch box needed to match that person's dietary restrictions. So, you know, if you had a lot of dietary restrictions, yeah. those lunch boxes all of a sudden became a little more complicated. Well, how many dietary uh, restrictions do you recall 
back um, in 99, 2000. More, more along the lines of uh, in the vegetarian, pescatarian realm. Yeah. Um, not as many in the, the current gluten-free gluten gluten craze. Trend. I remember the Atkins diet might have been yeah. big. Atkins diet was there. There was, uh, there was never a keto or paleo diet uh, that came and I, through. And I never heard the word gluten. Yeah. I mean, really, back then. It was very... Yeah. Um, so it was a much smaller it, operation. Much smaller operation, yeah. And, and only one restaurant. Only one restaurant. Only one restaurant. You know, the, the space itself, really, for the most part, is unchanged yeah. even today to what it was back then. I mean, we have a little bit more space that we removed one walk in from the, from the inside of the kitchen and put it on the exterior of the kitchen um, to create a little bit more workspace. But, um, you know, at that point, it's, it, everything else is relatively the same yeah you know so if and the mindset was a little different back then it was uh you know if we had a full house if we had the 44 rooms full it was almost things were catching on fire at some point you know you yeah. felt like it was it was rare it was right yeah um but then <laughs> to to think about it as today um you know where we're serving 150 160 guests sometimes um i won't say with ease but it's not uh something that's a rarity either you know it, it comes it becomes fairly constant yeah uh, a rarity the course would, of the year a rarity would only be doing 80 yeah now yeah, yeah. Uh, an 80 person day is uh oh man who wants to go home <laughs> <laughs> well then uh, so you started here you were roundsman it was a smaller operation yep. john was the chef who else mm -hmm. was part of that team then? Oh, let's see. We had uh, myself. We had Ken Olinger. Yeah. Uh, we had Stevie, um, who is still, still my sous chef today. <laughs> um, so he and I have worked together for uh, 21 years now, and Steve has actually been here for 22. He huh. started in, in July of 99. So you were a sous chef or pastry chef? What was your... Yeah, so started out as the... In the pastry chef role, I don't think we ever got to the point of calling me the pastry chef, but that was um, the, the position that yeah, got filled by you. Exactly, and so you know, the the cool thing about it was um, I felt comfortable enough, and John felt comfortable enough that we actually, um, after about I'd say it was a month, two months, we he came to me and said, "Hey, what do you, how do you how comfortable do you feel about creating an a la carte dessert menu?" And it's when we were kind of starting to transition from a three-plate um, three a la carte menu. At night. Uh, yeah, at night, night you're talking about. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, so, well, let's, let's give gonna, it a shot. Let's see what happens. The, so, the structure of the menu then, before that, was there was a set starter? There were Yeah, there was a set starter. There was a choice of two salads, I believe, two or three salads, mm -hmm. and, and then, then three entrees and a choice of two desserts and so all of those just kind of rotated there were certain things um uh, there were a couple of fish that rotated in that there were um like each night there'd yeah. be a different starter if yeah. i recall type yeah. si type situations like that so he was um, asking you about the dessert menu going from just two every night to a larger yeah. dessert menu yeah so we so what we started with was um we had a nightly sorbet um, and that was the that was the third component from right. the menu when we got when I got here, we essentially added two more desserts to the menu each night, 
And so we kind of kept the three desserts that we were running because they were good desserts. But then we just added to that and created a situation where um, we could rotate a couple of desserts each night to begin to, to give, uh, give them some, some variety. variety. Yeah, that was fun. It was uh, it was a little stressful at times, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was a good time. It was a great learning experience for me. Um, and it, we through the course of the year, we finally reached a point where in order to for things to change and for things to grow and to become more creative, we had kind of reached my limits. Sure. All right. So we we began looking for uh, someone else that had a little bit more specific pastry experience um, because it it also wasn't something that I was I didn't want to stay in there for the rest of my life. Right. You want to be yeah. a chef. Right. Um, and so we went through that. We we hired um, a young lady. I think her name is Karina, um, and she came in um, and took over from that, which allowed then for me to transition out and become a sous chef Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point um, one of our senior sous chefs out in the restaurant was moving on to start his own restaurant Um, and it kind of opened up a spot for myself and then Ken Olinger at the time to both of us got promoted to sous chef at the same time we were kind of the two banditos (laughs) running around Um, and uh, Ken was focused on the PM I was focused on the AM uh, nobody ever wants to get up early yeah. in the restaurant yeah. world and be the be that breakfast guy but but you did <laughs> I, was, okay I, was, I was the guy that already had the experience for us so that's how <laughs> that's how i got it so then we uh basically just started working through that and I, I worked through being the sous chef um the am sous chef for a number of years there for gosh i'm gonna say five years six years something like that um up up until about 2000 well see I think 2007 2006 yeah i think ken left in uh 2004 mm-hmm. um and then i got promoted to executive sous chef at that point and we had a couple other local chefs and james beard award winners that were got promoted to sous chefs but joseph lynn and matt gallagher oh, yeah. Um, yeah they got promoted to sous chefs um and so uh, worked through that until John left in 2007 and then became the corporate chef in right. 2007. That, um, and 2007 was kind of a big transition year. Yeah, it was a big transition year. Black Barn. Farm. Yeah, the barn opened that year. Yeah, the barn was under construction at that point. It's the larder uh, where we make the cheese and jam was, and charcuterie yep, open. The, yep, the larder had just come on come online at the same time. So when the barn opened in 2007, that's when the, the larder facility had just I mean, essentially, I think they were both finished at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, cheese was cheese, preserves, um, shark, cheese and charcuterie uh, were starting to kind of take shape. And we were, you know, we were looking for those right personalities to come in and be the cheese maker. And to, you know, at that point, we started out trying to milk our own sheep um, with our own flock and everything. And um, quickly realized there's a lot to that. Yeah. yeah, it's a yeah, big yeah. job, um, and especially trying to produce the volume that we wanted to produce at the time. So um, we had a, uh, some a big growing, learning curve some there. Some growing pains. Yeah, some learning growing curves. pains there. Um, and, you know, through through the cheese and then with the preser- on the preserve side, working through recipes, and um, we uh, eventually 
got all the the recipes put together that we wanted to have that ended up being our, our core staple uh, type things with strawberry jam and of course blackberry, blackberry jam, jam. Yeah. um singing brook cheese was created brevi um you know those are singing brook brevi and the uh what was the other one that we tried we we were doing a washed rind cheese that was whew, you could smell it, it was in the funky. next room yeah i remember it <laughs> yeah um but it was uh it was a good time and, and so growing through all of that um Barn opened in August 2007, August or September? September, Se- I guess. We did that yeah. first event. Yeah, yeah. the whole Thomas Keller crew that came in um, and helped to do the opening of the barn. Um, and then from there, um, essentially stayed in, in that role as corporate chef overseeing breakfast and lunch and helping with the larder, oversee the larder um, more so R&D and product development and everything um, up until 2000 and June, July, August, somewhere in there, 2018. Summer, 2018. Yeah, summer of 2018. Yeah. Um, at which point I transitioned over to the mountain. To, uh, to Blackberry Mountain. To Bla- Blackberry Mountain. Um, to uh, uh, begin to get things developed over there we had the the fire tower restaurant that had been completed and uh chef joel warner came over to be the the chef of the fire tower restaurant we went through um some soft opening weekends and worked through the fall up into our opening um in january of 2019 of blackberry mountain and then uh was the executive chef of blackberry mountain uh until May of 2020, and then transitioned back into my current role as the executive chef at Blackberry Farm at the main the, house. Main house. Um, so we're, we're now we're we're busier than we've ever been, yeah, serving more guests than than ever before. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so you, you've done it all. <laughs> been around the the Blackberry world. Yeah. So what? What do you see as a trend now? What do you see happening in the world of food well, and restaurants? Uh, I see as it's continued to grow, I mean, people certainly want to know where their food is coming from. You know, and I, I think that there's a, I personally think that there's a fine line between having too many words on the menu and, and you know, not telling a, a small short story <laughs> with every dish. Um, but, you know, it's it's certainly great to have like the family farms and all that stuff listed on the menu that um you know you never know i mean somebody might be at the farmer's market in in a local area just looking around and all of a sudden there's zavelle family farms like oh yeah i saw your all's name on the menu at at blackberry farm you Mm -hmm. know and it's it creates a network of or creates a community there um you know and the 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 whole foods people are, are definitely wanting to be focused on wellness, and I say that with a say that a, with, with a, bit a little of bit of a grain of salt because we still sell an awful lot of fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's I think it's certainly people are looking for that balance. You know, they want to indulge. They want to. You're you're coming to the south. You want to have you know just stick with fried chicken. You want to have great fried chicken while you're here. Um, but also, 
you know, I want to, I think you want to see some nice clean flavors and true flavors to, to the garden, sure. um, to, the, to the vegetables and everything else. So, um, you know, we get kind of a, kind of a bad rap sometimes. Southern, for, southern food, yeah, you mean? For yeah. Southern food for frying everything, um, which you know, everything can be fried. I think we've pretty well proven that, but, uh, there are a lot of clean flavors out there too, you know, that are uh, coming from the gardens or being foraged. Um, yeah, I think you know. I think a lot of people would be surprised about the the lightness of of food. And would you describe the food of of this place, the food that you do, as southern food? Um, I would kind of cer- I would certainly describe it as food that has southern roots, if you will, or takes inspiration from the south. But you know, there there are a lot of great spice combinations and and everything that are out there that go really great with you know just carrots yeah. that are grown in our garden um and there's not necess- i don't think there's necessarily a reason not to use it but it doesn't need to be the, the focal point of it but it can just be used as a seasoning like it's an sure. interesting flavor i mean why um, not and any carrot grown in your garden here would be southern food yeah exactly you know, it's so. grown in the south um so those types of situations uh, I, I don't think that we we end up with stir fry on the menu or something like that right but, you right. know, to to use, um, you know, something that doesn't mean you can't use ginger and yeah. spicy peppers. Exactly. You know, or you know, to to add something, a, a splash of yuzu juice to something isn't going to. It's going to give it an interesting flavor. It's going to balance it, um, or give something some balance or push flavor. You know, acids great at pushing flavor. So, um, you know, can really add a a, a new dimension, because it, you know, there's pimento cheese and fried chicken all over the place yeah you know, we need to we like to make sure that we create some uh, interesting moments that people remember memorable yeah yeah so what um what is your philosophy behind food and it might tie into another thing i'm interested to know is uh you, you've worked in a lot of different settings um there have to be challenges to working in a restaurant in a hotel that is unique to a standalone restaurant and maybe those two things your philosophy and that could be tied together or sure. hard to separate at least but what, what is your thought behind well, your you food? know my my food i think my food philosophy really has this evolved over the years you know really i think i've tried to make it too complicated sometimes and, and really Gonna get smarty with it if yeah. it will, uh, but realistically, to make great tasting food that is recognizable and, and true to what we're doing, you know, and I, I think that no matter, I think that philosophy can translate to anywhere in the United States. You know, true to us means you know rec- being able to recognize Southern cuisine in what we're doing. You know, it doesn't have to be fried chicken all the time. Um, but it needs to, I think you need to recognize where you're at as a hotel. It, it certainly rings true that people are coming here to stay in our hotel. You know, we, we are kind of an Island. Yeah. You can't just come to the, the hotel here and then go out on the street and go find something else to eat. Once you're here, you're pretty much here. You're a captive audience. Sure. If you, if you want to think of it like that. Um, and so what challenge is that? Hey, the, well, you. the challenges are the you know the challenges are keeping everyone interested all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make sure that you've got a good variety 
um, of foods and dishes, um, a library of things to be able to, to go back to. Um, and then, you know, it's it can be challenging. Uh, another thing I, I was sort of interested in, you've seen a number of challenges, I think, over the years. Mm -hmm. um, 2016 with uh, Sam Bell, the owner, passing yep. away. And then you know, currently uh, the, the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, what, what has been for you some of the most challenging you know, issues you, you've run up against? How have you pivoted? How have you been able to manage through? Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I think Sam's death uh, really, I mean, it forced us as a team to have to step up and, and be prepared because there, you were, there were obviously questions asked about what's, what's Blackberry going to do, you know, and we were so, we're so food and beverage heavy, um, you know, that we're, we're a food and beverage kind of destination. Mm -hmm. Um, so being able to work through that and of course the team that we had in place um, a lot of them still here you know you and I and uh, being able just to carry on Sam's vision and keep the standards high you know Sam frequently asked us what our vision was for food and beverage um, and gave us opportunity to weigh in and, and where things where we thought things should be um, and just kind of put us in the Put every, the the entire food and beverage team in the, in the spot of having to step up, um, understand what the vision was, and to execute it, um, and to keep moving forward. You know that vision changes, and keep it evolving. Um, and then so, you know, dealing with that, and you know, dealing with COVID type situations. You know, it's we've certainly pivoted and become more flexible in the restaurant with uh, doing takeout food mm -hmm. if you will yeah. um, we've come to find out there's very few things we can't put in a box <laughs> <laughs> don't know um, how it for, arrives when yeah. it gets there but can um, go in yeah exactly and to, to help people feel safe if you will but I think that over the past year I mean we I think the guest comments that we got were great in the way that our teams handled uh, helping guests feel comfortable with dining out again you know yeah. there are many of our longtime guests who came from different hot spots if you will over the country you know they came here because they they felt safe to come here um, and to be comfortable to come here and dine you know yeah. there were a number of folks that I talked to from they were here from Texas and kind of all over that when the opportunity came up to come they came here because they knew that we were going to do things right and the team so, through all that? The, the team through all that, you know, the the masks are obviously the biggest thing, I think, for the team. They just, you know, the, it's, it's, a, it's hard to work it's in. It's hard to work in. It's hard. It's obviously become easier now that we've done it for pretty much a, close to a year. Um, but I don't think any of the team members enjoy having to deal with a mask. And, of course, the first couple of times that you tried to taste food through a mask to see how it tastes were it's kind of comical. <laughs> Um, the teams, the team has adapted to it. Um, none of them will be sorry to see them go. Sure. Well, one more yeah. just question I had, I had for you is, um, you know, you you kind of got into, you know, culinary arts and being a chef in in a unique way, um, and it wasn't really your your direction going into the Navy, but if you had a chance to talk to someone who was was going into it, you know, a, a younger person, what um, 
what advice might you give them starting out in their career? Sure. Um, I would, I would probably say that, you know, the kind of what we, I guess what we say in a lot of career choices, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, keep your mouth shut sometimes and just listen, uh, pay attention to detail, uh, because in the, in the food world, just like it with anything else, but it, the food world, it's almost immediate whether you can pay attention to detail and follow instruction, um, creates efficiency, um, causes a lot of those questions that you may feel like you need to ask and maybe you've already gotten the answer if you're paying attention to, to everything that's being uh, spoken to you, told to you. Um, and uh, I think take initiative. You know, I, I, a lot of, if you're, if you're timid, don't be timid. I think uh, there's some folks that we see that are kind of timid and want to maybe put their toe in the toe in the pool, mm -hmm. if you will, um, versus you know just get in there and give it all you got. Take in, take initiative. Pay attention to what's happening. Ask a lot of questions. Um, be accurate. Execute your work well to the best of your ability, um, and always improve those abilities. Hmm. You know if. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things that you'll find coming into a restaurant type environment is there's a lot of work to do and not uh, not great uh, not not uh, long period of time, right? Yeah. Everything needs to happen. It needs to happen pretty quick, um, especially when you get into an operation like we have in in our restaurants where you're not opening bags or cans or vacuum sealed packages that you haven't vacuum sealed yourself right type situation you're doing the knife cuts you're you're running around the kitchen you're having to be a cook be a chef um it's it's not a it's a restaurant it's not what you would consider a, a commercial operation by any any stretch of the right. word so um you need to get in there and and be efficient with your time um, time on task is something that we uh, refer to sometimes you know is the way that uh that i dice this carrot am i dicing this carrot faster than i did last time do my knife cuts look as good as they did last time um you know i, I refer to uh um speaking of thomas keller when we opened the barn when we were doing that you know the the team that he brought with him um were uh, executed things so precisely um and i tell this story to cook sometimes um i watched one of the sous chefs what i would consider perfectly brunoise uh a, a pint of pepper you know to, and that's a lot yes you know, it takes a, a couple of minutes to, to brunoise um and so i was kind of watching off to the side and i i watched and he saw something there was something that he picked up on in that container of peppers um and he looked at it for a minute and kind of dug around in there. And then he took that pint of peppers and he dumped it out <laughs> in the garbage and started over. You know, that was the dedication that he had to his craft to make sure that everything in there was perfect. There's obviously some, I never went and asked him what he, what was in, could have been a, a sticker that was left right, on the pepper right. or something. But, um, That's but that, the, 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 the detail that he had and the, the perfection that he wanted, you know, it's funny, John used to say all the time, and I'm sure that other people have said this, if we're, if we're constantly striving for perfection, the, the least we can come up with is great. Yeah. 
you know. Certainly so, better. Yeah. You know. So, um, yeah, that's probably where I would. I like that. Give that philosophy out. To, I like that <laughs> to the younger generation coming in. So. Well, on on the note of of uh, efficiency of time, I know we have to get you back for lunch. Thanks for taking time between breakfast Absolutely. and lunch for us. <laughs> uh, Josh, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, I appreciate Andy. it. Thank you for listening to the Blackberry Podcast. Continue following the journey wherever you subscribe. Thank you to our guests, interviewers, and audience. Dive into more stories, videos, photos, and podcast episodes on theblackberrymagazine.com. Make a great day.